This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Investor Mindset Nation, welcome back to an incredible episode. We have John Martinez in the studio today. Super excited to get into some of these topics for one good reason, because John is such a giver and he is going to show us and train us on some of the key strategies that have really worked well from a sales perspective. But some of these strategies also really play into communication and life in general. What's so great about communication, sales and negotiation is all of this stuff is about talking to people and people are the lifeblood of our lives. Life, and it's so key to have the right mindset going into those situations. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode with John. But I have to ask you, please go drop a five-star review on iTunes, like us on YouTube, uh, subscribe on YouTube, and give us a little bit of support out there. Share this with a friend. If you're loving it and you think this episode would help somebody else down the path, we would be internally grateful if you did. Pass it along and let us know what you think. Let's get into it. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I am very excited for another show. We have John Martinez in the studio today. John, how you doing? Hey, Stephen, what's going on, man? Doing well. John has been in some form of sales training for over 20 years and has become the premier trainer in the industry for real estate investors. With the help of his team, he's trained thousands of entrepreneurs on how to boost company income by helping them improve their inbound and outbound sales. He's done so by perfecting the face-to-face and over-the-phone tactics from his 20 years of experience in sales. He personally has worked with my team and uh, has trained them to be amazing salespeople. And I'm really excited to share him with the uh, the amazing audience today on on the show. Welcome. Yeah, good to be here, man. Good to be here. Well, so you've you've uh, you've obviously hit some success. You've really been able to help a lot of folks on the sales training side. But if we take a look back, what events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today? Yeah, um, great question. You know, my childhood was uh, not what people would expect from a, a, a sales trainer. Um, you know, usually when people think of sales trainers, they think about people who are just naturally outgoing and in life of the party. You know, tons of friends. I, I was not that way. I actually was, um, you know, I kept to myself. I had some some issues with with uh, my speech, so I was in some some pretty intensive speech therapy up until the sixth or seventh grade, um, because no one understood me. I, I just didn't talk because it was embarrassing. Um, I was a late bloomer, so you know, I graduated high school. I think at 101 pounds, so I was I was picked on mm. and stuff like that. Uh, I tried to, you know, I played football seventh, eighth, and then ninth grade in high school. Um, and when I say small, I was so small that they had no equipment in the high school that would fit me. They had a special order, uh, all my gear so I could stand on the sidelines all year. So needless to say, man, I was uh, an introvert. I hid from everyone. I didn't talk to a soul. Um, and I think, you know, that influenced me uh, one very big way. I've <laughs> The best way to put it, and I hate to even say this, is I've had a chip on my shoulder. I think I really had something mm-hmm. to prove about what I could accomplish and what I could become um, and what I could do with my life since I was mm-hmm. always, you know, kind of a, a picked on and, and overlooked and that type of stuff. Yeah, well, I can only imagine, John, You're for people who aren't watching uh, the video stream here, you're a big guy. You're not like <laughs> a little tiny, I mean, to hear you say you're 110 pounds in high school, Yeah, that's small. 
Yeah, it was it was small. It was very, very small, man. Late bloomer. I didn't start growing until I was about 18 years old. And so what was it like growing up having some of those challenges, right? Speech therapy, maybe feeling a little bit out of place, feeling like you really wanted to look inside for energy rather than outside because you weren't getting it there. What was that like? Yeah, you know, um, I remember, you know, for, for as long as I can remember, playing kind of these these games with myself and I've, I've actually I've never told a soul about this uh, this uh, these words have never left my mouth before but I remember playing games with myself where I would test my mental toughness where I would just mm-hmm. um, I'd be I'd be in terrible situations all the time um, and to me it was a game can I get through this can I mm-hmm. endure this how long can I do this or that? And it was always a sense of accomplishment when I got through a bigger and bigger and, and bigger challenge. Um, so, I mean, I've never told a soul about that, but I, I do remember turning it into a game in my head. And I don't know if that was a, a coping mechanism of some kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what it was. Honestly, I haven't thought about it in, in years. Uh, something about your question just triggered that. But so you, so you were doing, you were doing mental training to train your mind yourself. Just you, you didn't think it doesn't sound like you thought of it like no. that, but you were challenging yourself to get stronger. What, what for? I have no idea. I guess, I guess, just to cope. I mean, I was, I was always so embarrassed, and I was always so afraid um, that I mean, to the extent that even when my parents would have family and friends over to the house, um, I would hide under the furniture until they left. So. I mean, I know it's pretty messed up, but that, that was my childhood. So I think it was out of, probably out of necessity now that I'm thinking about it. I just, mm-hmm. um, I knew those tough times were coming. So I, I would turn it into a game. And then I was, I was really proud of myself again, every time I, I, I had an accomplishment or I, I uh-huh. won that game and I got through a tougher and, and tougher moment. Um, so I guess those things are born out of necessity. It's kind of funny talking about, because like I said, I haven't thought about this in years, um, and I've, I've never brought it up to anybody. Well, it sounds like uh, we're really uncovering something that I think we can debunk a myth here that salespeople are only successful if they're extroverted and they're kind of that super outgoing, yeah. talkative type person. You sound like, and I know you personally, yeah. the exact opposite of that. And you never know when you're on stage or when we're just talking right here. Right. Um, what was it that got you into sales? Because it seems like the opposite type of environment where you you really want to thrive. Yeah, it was that need to accomplish. Uh, when I got into sales, I was, um, I think it was my late teens, early 20s. And at the time I was a delivery boy. I was delivering food for a catering company. And mm-hmm. I, I would see, um, I deliver food for doc- to doctor's offices, pharmaceutical reps, uh, salespeople basically would order food and then I deliver it. And, and when the doctor would come out to eat the bagel or whatever, uh, they would try mm-hmm. to sell their their product. So my vision of what success looked like was was influenced mm-hmm. by that. I saw these people. They had the the company cars. They were well dressed. Um, a lot of them are are ex college athletes. Um, and I saw those people, and I, I thought to myself, that that must be what success looks like. Um, and they're salespeople. So that was my influence to to uh, as I put it back uh, in the day, get a real job. Uh, that was that was my biggest influence. Is I, I had something to prove, and that just that looked like the vehicle, the outlet. So you saw these examples of people who had it. You were a delivery boy. You had something behind you where you needed to be able to provide for your family, yeah. and you thought, well, you know, those guys are making what I want to be making. I want to be able to provide like that. So I'm going to kind of head down that path. It seems like like 
potentially that introverted side, that kind of researcher, I'm going to really think through and strategize is probably what really led you to being so successful at sales and at being an incredible sales trainer. How do you think that's played into your career thus far? Yeah, I think our success, uh, my success in sales, and um, I think more importantly, uh, success training other people is, is relying on process instead of natural ability. Um, hey, natural ability is great in, in any aspect of your life. It's going to help you get further quicker. Um, but process, I think, in, in my mind, is more important than, than ability, more important than talent. Uh, you know, when you look at the, the greats, like in sports, you know, uh, Jordan, Tiger Woods, uh, Jerry Rice is my all-time favorite football player. These guys would just practice their processes over and over again, and they had a process for training and a process for preparing. And, um, and I really, really believe process is what makes great salespeople great. Um, and we actually know it when we look at the data. So, um, yeah, I guess early on, I, I did rely on, on that, that, that inter, you know, internal reflection. Um, and today, I think that's what makes our sales training so great is we're able to teach a process to anyone, whether they're built to sell or not, naturally, yeah. that where they can be successful. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've personally gone through the training and I've gone through it a lot of times. I've had my whole team done, uh, go through it. I've, you know, had some consulting um, from you. And so, you know, we believe in it. I think just maybe to challenge you with the intent of understanding deeper, I've hired some people who we followed the process and they sucked at selling. Right. And how do we, how do we end up creating incredible salespeople you know, using the process, it seems like what I found is, you know, maybe there's more than just the process. And, and what have you found there? Right. So uh, kind of have the same view, but different. I'll explain. Um, it's not strengths that make salespeople. It's a lack of weaknesses. Um, mm. So anyone can learn to sell, but you've got some people that, that do are naturally better at it. They, they're just built to sell, right? Um, some people have some things that are really holding them back, kind of like some anchors that they're dragging. And until you cut those anchors and you get rid of those hidden weaknesses, they'll never hit the potential with the process. So basically, salespeople have five or six hidden weaknesses that will keep them from using the process. So it's not that they're not built or they can't do it. It's that something is holding them back from actually using the process. Um, so my argument would be everybody can sell if they use the process, but there's some things holding some back that prevent them from, from going through the process and, and, and sticking to it. Yeah, it's always seemed like, like if somebody doesn't have that internal drive to succeed, like that, that must, that, that, that fire that's yeah. burning, that no matter who they are, they're gonna, it's, it's not going to work out because in our industry, at least, it's a very tough type of sale. Right. Um, what, are, what are five or six of those hidden weaknesses that you've found that hold people back from being killer sales folks? Right, and I think you hit the, you hit the nail on the head. Without motivation, um, there's, there's really no motivation to change. And if there's no motivation to change, then you're not going to be able to, to kick, kick those hidden weaknesses and, and cut those anchors. So mm -hmm. uh, motivation is, is key because without mo proper motivation, no one's coachable. Um, so then when we look at the hidden weaknesses, the biggest ones we've seen um, are non-supportive buy cycle. Uh, non-supportive buy cycle just means uh, the way uh, a salesperson makes purchases on their own is the mm. exact opposite of the way they're supposed to be selling. Mm. So there's this internal struggle of what should I do? Should I sell the way I know I'm supposed to sell 
or do I do what, what I tell myself is true the way I buy? So a quick example of this is if you've got a salesperson, like in your industry, right? Uh, you want a quick decision. Hey, we're going to go through the sales process. Yes is good. No is okay too, but we're not leaving with a maybe or think it over. Um, mm-hmm. A salesperson gets to the end and let's say the salesperson, they never, they never buy, um, you know, first time they look at something, they go back, they think it over, they take three or four weeks, they search the internet, they read a hundred reviews, they, 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 they do all that stuff. Let's say that's the salesperson. Well, if the salesperson's in that situation and it's time to close the deal and the person in front of them, the prospect says, you know what, John, I really want to think about it and do a little bit more research. That, that salesperson is going to have a heck of a time you know, just overriding what they believe. Cause in their head, they're going, that makes perfect sense. That's exactly what I do. So that prevents them from going through the process, which would be, Hey, anything other than a yes is a no. And, and that's okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one of the, the major hidden weaknesses. Um, another huge one is, uh, when salespeople just want to be liked, you see, this is where extroverts get into trouble. Actually, extroverts mm-hmm. aren't the best salespeople out there. Some can be great salespeople, but typically they're a very small percentage of, of, of the greats, right? And the reason is, is because extroverts are really good at getting people to like them, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're really good and, and, and you have this drive and you want others to like you, well, sales mm-hmm. isn't about people liking you. It's about them respecting you. And sometimes you've got to say things and ask certain questions that are going to make people uncomfortable and challenge people. And if your your internal drive is to make people happy and feel good, when it comes time for those, those challenging questions or statements, there again is going to be that internal struggle. So those are, those are two of the biggest. So hopefully that helps the audience understand how these weaknesses kind of drag people back. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. I've, I've seen that from salespeople that I've brought on. You know, they, they're really strong. They want, they want to succeed, but they get in there and they, they can't make the offer they need to, or they can't bring that person around because they understand, hey, maybe you, you do need to take some time to think about it. Heck, I'd want to think about it too. Right. So obviously, you've had you've had some success at this this sales training thing. Talk to me about some of the times that you've ran into some some challenges. You know, I, I know in I know personally a couple of them. Right, we've worked together on some yeah. of those projects, and you know, life is all about learning and uh, trying some things, and sometimes they don't work out. Yeah. You know, tell us a little story about one of those times it didn't work out when you're trying one of these new ventures. Yeah, first of all, it's it's just an endless parade of failures. I mean, that's that's just yeah. if your business is growing, it means you're you're failing constantly along the way. And I know that 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 cle- is is kind of cliche now and, and people totally. talk about it a lot, but I think the reason is is because it it's so 100% completely true. Um, you know, we uh, for example, we uh, we had a call center uh, no longer have that call center, we shut it down. So mm-hmm. there's a big learning experience. First time we did the call center, we did inbound calls. We learned that was not our strength for a variety of reasons. So we turned to outbound calls. We brought on a partner. We had trouble uh, with the infrastructure. Um, it was just, we had trouble with the legal piece of it, staying compliant and learning state mm-hmm. and, and, and um, federal laws. We had uh, challenges from attorney generals. Um, and at the end of the day, the, the business made money and was successful um, uh-huh. to the tune of about 30,000 a month was I think our profit during about the last six months to a year. Uh-huh. Uh, but where we did fail is we couldn't get the business to a place where it wasn't there. It wasn't impacting us emotionally. Every time my wife yeah. would get, she, she ended up running the company and every time she'd get a letter from an attorney general, 
it was two or three days of just kind of uh, freaking out, and that impacted our, our marriage and our life, and, and we, neither of us felt good about it. So we failed to get to the business to the point where we were um, emotionally disengaged and out of it to the extent where we did not need to be involved in any of the operations at all. So, um, which is kind of funny because a lot of people think success in business is just the, the financial piece, uh, but it was taking too much time and there's too much emotional uh, engagement there for, for us to consider it successful. So we, we ultimately shut it down. Yeah, which is so surprising, right? Because when you hear somebody, I'm going to shut down a business, it's usually because, well, they've been putting a lot into it. And, you know, frankly, it's just not coming out the back end. They're not making the kind of money. But it sounds like you were actually making the money, but it just wasn't a business that felt good to run. Right. It, it stunk. And, and in the bigger scheme of things, we had other businesses. The sales training business, for example, uh, did, did somewhere around five times the revenue and took about a yeah. tenth of the time. So you also start looking at that stuff like, hey, why am I spending, you know, 90% of my time to make, you know, 20 or 30% of our income? And you have to start reprioritizing and, and doubling down on the stuff that's working. So, yeah, it's, it's really weird. Um, you know, people, you know, uh, again, think about success only by the financial terms. But I know a lot of people who are financially successful who are just miserable. Um, so I think my definition has changed over the years of what success looks like. Yeah, well, that's one of my favorite questions. So since you mentioned it, tell me, what does success look like to you? Yeah, so to me, success just is, is freedom of choice, right? And in order to be free to choose um, anything you want, you need to have time freedom, right? You need to have the time to do what you want uh, to do. Uh -huh. You need to have the resources. So there, there is a financial component in my book. You need the time yeah. and the resources. Um, and, and as long as you have those two things, I believe you have total freedom, right? If you've got all the time in the world to do what you want and the resources to actually accomplish it, do it, put it into action, then that's freedom um, to me. So that, mm -hmm. that definition can be the same as a lot of people's definition, but the variables are how much time do you, do you need to, be, to feel free? How much money or resources do you need to, to feel free? And, and my answer is going to be different than everyone else's, uh, but I really think time and, and money are the two essential components to, to success. Of course. And time and resources are the key. And you know, with that definition, do you feel like you've hit success? You feel like you're successful? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. Um, except now, now that I've hit that for a little while, because uh -huh. it, it takes um, two to three hours a week to run the business. Um, it's a seven-figure business, so it, it, when we live in the Midwest, where it does not cost much to live at all, so uh, mm -hmm. most of the money nowadays just goes into savings and reinvesting into new business ideas. Uh, but that definition is slowly changing because as I have more time and freedom. Um, I'm getting bored. So I, that's why we spring mm -hmm. up new businesses. So, um, you know, not just having the, the freedom to choose to do what you want to do when you want to do it, but there, there needs to be some other fulfilling component somewhere in there where the activities you're doing um, actually have some type of fulfillment, something that, that makes you happy, something that lets you know you're giving back, helping others. So uh, again, I think for me at least, um, it's been a journey where my definition continues to change. And I, I think that. in one, two, three, four, five years from now, it's, it's going to continue to change too. It, it's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy, right? You hit that first level, then you go to the second until you, you get to the very top. And, and the very top is very different from the, the bottom of that hierarchy. So really now we've got a, we've even just improved on our definition. Right. So time, freedom, money, and resources, but then also having that fulfillment piece. Because once you've, once you've reached those two pieces, all of a sudden, well, great, now I've got all this money. I want to do something that makes me really feel fulfilled inside. 
So I think that's that's really great. And and it sounds like it sounds like you've built this incredible business. You're feeling free. You've hit success. Do you ever feel like a fear, a fear of going back to that life that you had before where you weren't sure exactly where the money was going to come from and you weren't sure if you were going to... Yeah, you know, for a long time I did. For a very long time I did. Um, the only time that changed is where when I finally realized I've got the skill set, I've, I've learned that I have the tools, I've learned the skill sets to build and to create and to identify opportunity. And, and mm-hmm. once you do that, um, you stop being afraid. You know, now my where my thoughts used to be, just like you said, hey, what if people stop buying? What if the business goes downhill? What, if, you know, for whatever reason, what, what if we lose it all? And I was scared to death. Um, but now the way I think is no big deal. There's so much opportunity out there. We'll just build another business. We'll do it again and again and again, because we know the building blocks. We have the tools. It's just a different widget we'd be building. Yeah. So somebody could take everything that you've built away, but you know that you have the skills within yourself to go and recreate it again and again and again. Absolutely. I I love that. And I think all of our listeners, you know, we, we're all driving at different levels of on that success matrix, on that pyramid that we're talking about. You know, I, I remember feeling like if I could only make ten thousand dollars, man, that would that would feel good. I'd be successful. And then you make it and you're like, well, if I could only make a hundred thousand dollars, and then you make it and you have to just keep moving that goalpost. And then you realize that the money is critical, but there's so much more to it. And so for all those folks listening, I really hope that you'll take that to heart that no matter where you are, just know that there's always another place to grow to. There's always another place that you can move um, your focus to to really get more for yourself, but really it comes down to what you're doing for others. And uh, you can see as John's hit success training all these other people, now he's really moving in that direction of trying to find some more fulfillment in what he's doing. Absolutely, man. So one of the questions I have for you, John, is you know you're working on a business only takes you three or four hours a week to do you know to keep it running. You must have some some habits in place. What are some of your keystone habits that help you live a great life every single day. Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, And I am definitely a creature of habit. Um, It's one reason why I don't like to travel because it it, it breaks my routine. So my habit is seven days a week I get up. um, I I don't use an alarm clock anymore because I'm just, I'm getting old and getting used to waking up early, but I get up at four or five in the morning and I I head out to the gym. Uh, I do that seven days a week um, because I just don't feel right if I, I don't go to the gym. I just, it, I enjoy it and I've done it for so many years now that it's one of those things that if you miss it, you just feel weird. Um, so that's how I start every single day. Um, I work, uh, in the morning hours. I'm just, I'm no good in the afternoon. I've learned that about myself. Um, Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, I'm not effective after lunch. So any work I have to do, any important projects I knock out in between when my uh, wife takes the kids to school and mm-hmm. when I take my wife to lunch. So that's the, the other uh, thing we do every day is, is my wife and I have lunch together. So um, usually not at home, we usually go out to eat and we'll sit down and we'll take an hour, hour and a half and have a, a really nice lunch and just, just hang out together. And that gives us some, some time together. Um, and that's, that's basically it. I guess, well, maybe, maybe it's right at the end of the day, there's another one. Uh, after my wife puts the kids down to bed about 7.30 or 8 o'clock, we both climb into bed and we just, we kind of watch TV and joke around and chat. And we, we spend that final hour of the day or so together before we fall asleep. 
And when you're doing that daily lunch, are you, you guys work closely together. Yeah. Um, you're both working on the same business. Do you have any boundaries set on what you guys talk about there? Or is it kind of just a free flowing conversation, whatever, whatever comes up, whether you're talking about business or, or the kids? Yeah, it's just just free flowing. We don't have any rules set up. Um, I don't I don't feel like we need any. So, um, and sometimes we, we like to talk about business, and it's just in a different setting. Um, and sometimes talking about business in a different setting beyond my home office where I'm sitting right now really helps as well. So, whatever mm-hmm. we feel like talking about, we talk about. Absolutely. So, you know, a lot of our listeners are maybe existing salespeople, a lot of our listeners are people who are always looking to grow. What would you recommend if somebody wants to get better at sales and sales just comes down to being able to communicate and give people what they want and help them understand it. What would you recommend maybe a couple steps that they can do in order to become a better salesperson? Where can they look for some education? Where can they uh, start practicing some of these skills so that they can grow within themselves to be, you know, a killer salesperson like yourself? Right. So one of the, the, the uh, most influential books I've read uh, that, that has a huge impact on the training we do today was Spin Sale- Selling by Neil Rackham. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's, that's a book. You could get it on uh, Audible or whatever. Uh, just listen to it if you don't like to read. But it, it has the, the core fundamentals of what makes successful salespeople successful. Um, and it was eye-opening to me, I think, if, if you haven't read it or aren't familiar with, with the process, mm-hmm. uh, it will be eye-opening to you too. Where do you practice those things, though? Once you see what, what makes a successful successful salesperson, and it's really the questions they ask, um, then you can ask those questions anywhere because it is about deeper communication. So I remember when I first started practicing different questioning strategies, it would be with the customer service person on the phone, with the waiter or waitress at the, at the restaurant, with, with family members, um, because it was very natural. And I, was, it, I had an easier time doing that than waiting until I was in a sales situation to practice because when you're in that sales situation, you feel like everything's on the line and, and I at mm. least had a very hard time experimenting in those situations. Um, especially in the sales I came from was B2B sales where you spent 90% of your time prospecting and 10% actually selling. So uh-huh. I just did the same stuff all the time when I was selling um, until I got comfortable with the new questioning uh, technique or strategy or something like that. So you'd kind of learn one thing You'd get really, really good at it. You'd keep using it kind of throughout your life, throughout conversations at the store, conversations with you know, a partner maybe at work until you get really comfortable with it and then yeah. maybe add another skill on top of that. That, that was exactly it. It was about comfort for me. Um, and, and as you said, it's, sales is about communication. Um, the way I always explain it is if we could read people's minds, we could sell them anything because we could look right inside and say, hey, this is every reason why this person would do business with me. This is everything that might hold them back. And you'd know exactly what to talk about and walk through. So when you get really good at communication, it, it's just like mind reading. It's, it's hey, let's, let's have nice, open, honest dialogue about every reason why we might do business together, every reason why we might not. We'll lay them out all, all, all on the table and, and just figure out what works best for you. Yeah. Well, and that style of sales, I think, John, is really, it's, it's incredible for, for a couple reasons. Because a lot of people think the salesperson is the person who's coming in, they're coming in hot, they're aggressive, <laughs> they're slamming it down that person's throat, and they're going to get a yes or a no. You know, fine, say no, that's fine too. I'm going to move on to the next one. But really, your sales is different. You kind of tell us what, what that style is and, and, and what, what it's all about? Yeah, it's really facilitating the decision process. Um, you know, if you, if you read Spin Selling, and, and there's just 
variety of other studies that uh, countless studies that have been done over the years, the more you try to pressure somebody into something um, or in sales, the more you try to close them, the less likely you are to get that result. And it's, it's due to something called psychological reactants and a couple other factors about it. It shuts down communication essentially. Um, so, so since we know pressure and, and closing hard and, and all those types of things aren't effective, we have to look at what is effective and what is effective is um, really questioning strategies and questioning strategies that have to do with how is a problem that someone is experiencing or a situation that they're in or a product that they have or don't have, how is that impacting like their real life, uh, what they think about, how they feel, is it getting in the way of goals? And until you take the conversation to that personal level, and I don't care what type of sales it is, until you get to that personal level, um, it's really hard to, to move the needle or move the, the ball down the field. So the most successful people ask questions to uncover those things. And once they uncover those things that are important to the individual or the group they're talking to, they simply position their product or service into, hey, now that we know, you know where you are and where to be, let me, let me kind of build the bridge with our product or service. And all you have to do is, is walk over that bridge and that's going to get you to where you want to be. So you know, that, that's kind of vague and high level, but in a nutshell, that's, that's our style of, of sales. And what, what, what I love about it is it, it works. It really works. I'm a pretty tenacious guy. I definitely come in hot. I had to really learn um, how to kind of sit back. And I still have challenge with that from time to time, both in sales and in personal life and in leadership. You know, sometimes you just, when you're an achiever and you're driven and uh, well, just with my personality style, I want to like, I want to do it. Let's get it done, yeah. baby. Let's, let's get in there. <laughs> Boom. But what advice would you give to somebody who is normally used to just kind of like pushing things through, forcing things to happen, and that's what's worked so well for success? How do they roll that back so they can be more empathetic, they can listen, and they can hear, and they don't necessarily take it personal when a prospect says, you know, I think your company's trying to do the wrong thing. You know? Yeah. So if, if they have that natural tendency to go hard, uh, what you want to do is really just change the definition of, of what a successful sales call is. Um, uh-huh. So if I'm working with the salesperson like that, I would say, hey, the goal is not to sell this person because you're going to go way too fast and way too hard for the yes. And that's going to really short circuit everything we want to do. So let's instead, you've got 10 sales calls this week. Let's see who you can legitimately disqualify. And in order to disqualify them, you're going to have to ask them these questions. And if they are disqualified, we're going to get them there. But what will happen, what happens in reality is a number of those people, they can't disqualify. And by default, that ends up in a sale. So I want them to use that same tenacity, but I want them to use that tenacity to disqualify. And what that'll Mm -hmm. do is it'll relieve all the sales pressure that they typically put onto people. It's going to expand the conversation. And as they're going for the no, uh, for the right fit, for the prospects that mm-hmm. are a good fit for the product or service, they're not going to let it get to a no. They'll end up fighting for the yes until the salesperson finally gives up and says, fine, you win, let's do this. Wow, I love that. I love that. So really, it's it's just changing the way that they're looking at it. So instead of fighting to get them to sign that contract, to say, yeah, I'm going to buy from you, it's it's really with that tenaciousness to really dig in and listen and understand and and be present so that you can understand, you know, am I really able to help this person or not? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to disqualify, I would say, hey, you've got these five or six questions. And until you get the answers to these questions, they're not disqualified. That would force the, the asking of the questions, the, the answers. Um, and, and by default, they would run a pretty successful sales call. That uh, that's that's strong. I just had to take a little pause there for myself <laughs> just to kind of take that in. Um, what would what would five of those questions be for for a home buyer? Yeah, so we'd probably start pretty surface layer and just ask something like, "Hey, what motivated you to meet with me today?" or or mm-hmm. "Why do you even start thinking about this? When did you start thinking about uh, you know making this change?" Just just very surface layer stuff to to start the conversation. To, to build a little rapport and to, to kind of peek into where things are going. And then everything past that is basically going to be going a little bit deeper. So that's what we call problem questions. Um, you could do the exact opposite too. We call it picture perfect questions, which is, hey, you know, kind of paint me the picture. Tell me where you want to be in a month or six months from now. Where, mm-hmm. why there, um, you know, what would it be like? How would it be different from your situation now? Essentially what those questions do, the problem in the, in the picture perfect questions is they help the prospect get really clear about, hey, where am I trying to go? What am I trying to accomplish here, right? Where am I now and where do I want to be? Um, and to make that really impactful, to take it to a personal level, whether you ask just problem questions, just picture perfect questions, or what really good salespeople do and ask both of those types of questions, you ask impact questions, which really is just, you know, how does that impact you? Why that? Uh, why then? Um, what made you think about that? Why would that be good? Why would that be bad? How do you feel about that? Uh, and just going deeper and deeper. And those questions could be really simple, like, really? Right? Just to get, keep people talking and going deeper on their own. They don't have to be, um, you know, well thought out, long, perfectly worded questions. Usually when I ask impact questions, you know, it, it might start with a problem question like, hey, kind of tell me about what brought me out here today. Um, how long have you been thinking about selling your home? Mm-hmm. And after they answer, it might just, I might just say something like, wow, really? And then they keep talking. So those could be impact questions. So uh, really, there's three types of questions problem, impact, picture perfect. You, you just run over those over and over uh, in a combination until you start hearing people, until you start to hear some type of emotional impact, like how they're feeling, like, you know, I've just been stressed out or, you know, I'm just kind of tired of this or, man, it would be so awesome if we could fill in the blank here. Mm-hmm. That's where you want to get your prospects. So you ask for five questions, but really those are the only three questions you need to ask and there's just countless variations of them. What I think is really... Uh really something I want to underline here for all the listeners, regardless of industry, regardless of, of whether you're in sales, if you're still listening, which I, I, I hope you are, <laughs> is that these things that John is just talking about, they apply to all levels of communication. When you're talking with a spouse, you're really just trying to dive in and understand, well, what's going on? You're hearing that person, you're empathizing, you're understanding what the problem is and the pain um, that they're experiencing. And then you're hopefully either providing a solution or just being a good listener, right? This stuff really, it's applicable across disciplines. And uh, I'm sure you've seen that. That's probably why you've you've been, how long have you and your wife been married, John? Uh, we've been married uh, going on six years now. That's, that's amazing. That's really great. <laughs> um, so before we get into the final section of the show, John, you have built this incredible training business. You've tried and succeeded at many and you've failed at so many other types of businesses that you've done. Why do you think you've been successful at this and what does it take to be successful in the training industry? What have you done differently that's that's made you be able to rise over all the other people who've you know stopped or given up? Right. Uh, you know, I think 
the biggest, where, where I've seen the biggest jumps in, in our business, where I've seen the, the most improvement um, has been where I put on blinders and I trust in my gut. Um, I spent a lot of my time trying to emulate what I thought was the right thing to do, looking at other people in the industry who were coaching, looking at other sales trainers and trying to be them and do what they do. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd occasionally stumble on success when I did something just out of the box. And over, over the years, I've learned to trust more and more in my gut. And I think what that's done is we do things now that others don't. Uh, that sets the brand apart, that sets us apart. Um, we take risks and experiment, which oftentimes, you know, whether you win or lose, le- leads to, to learning and, um, and growing. So I think the biggest change in my business where we've seen the most success is where we've just turned off listening to everyone else. I mean, there's a lot to be said about uh, mimicking those who are already successful. And that gets you to where they are. But when you want to get past them, then you, you, you've got to start you know, putting on the blinders, trusting in your gut and experimenting. So I caught up to people quick, but then we stalled out for a couple of years. And when I t- put on my blinders personally, that's when we kind of had this last uh, you know, couple of years of, of pretty substantial growth. And what were those things that you did differently than everyone else? Uh, a lot of stuff with marketing. Um, so the messaging, what we give away, how we give it away, what we're willing to put out there and give away for free. Um, not worrying uh, so much about, you know, image, you know, a, a lot of times, a, a lot of people, I did a coaching workshop this last week and there were seven coaches in the room, uh, all very successful. And, you know, we started talking about content, you know, content marketing and, and how we grow a following. And everyone was like, I don't want to be that guy, but I feel like I got to buy the Lamborghini and slick back the hair and, and like be that person to be successful. Cause that's all I see. And I know those guys are successful. And, um, we had a, a, a pretty good conversation about, Hey, that's their, that's them. You know, when they are successful doing that, that's because they're being authentic to themselves and it comes through. Mm-hmm. What you need to do is the same thing. Be authentic. And when yeah. you're authentic, you're, you're going to be different. And people, some people are just going to gravitate towards you. They're going to say, yes, I like that. I get that. This is real. So, um, you know, I'm not bad mouthing anyone with the Lamborghinis. I, I love cars, but what I'm saying is, those people who who have that type of marketing and are successful, mm-hmm. it's because that's who they are. They're not faking it. Mm-hmm. Um, people, some sometimes people try to fake it, and they're not successful. So I think at the end game is the, the the one true piece here is being authentic to yourself is is what wins. And it took me a while to get comfortable with myself and to really just be authentic with who I am. You know, in my videos. I'm always wearing the same T-shirt or pullover because, hey, that's me. I, I, you know, I'm a simple dude, and that's okay. So authenticity rules in, in my book. And how do people find their authentic self? How did you go about finding it and, and feeling comfortable with it? Because a lot of people, they look around and they think, hey, well, I need a model in order to be successful. I've done it myself. But truly, you got to reach down within yourself and be authentic, but sometimes it's hard to know how. So how have you done it? Yeah. You know, I think for me, it was, I was just burnt out. Um, Mm -hmm. I tried so many things. I tried to copy so many people. I, I tried to be so many things and it never felt good if I, if I didn't feel like I was being true to myself. So honestly, I think I hit a point where I give up. I gave up and I just said, Hey, people don't like me, then they don't like me. Um, and the funny thing was, is, is since I, I can't pinpoint when that was, but, but since that's happened, 
we have a, a bigger and a, and a more driven following because people can relate to you. People, they just, people like to be around people like themselves. So it's easier to attract the people I want to attract by, by being authentic. But, but honestly, you know, I know this is about success and never giving up, but I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I think I gave up and it was yeah. one of those failures that turned into an aha moment. That's, that's, that's a huge takeaway right there, John, is that, you know, successful people, we hit a wall. You know, sometimes we run into some stuff and we say, man, I don't want to keep doing this anymore. I can't, I can't keep, I can't keep this up. And then, you know, what ended up falling out of that was your true self and you just went forward the way that it needed to be. So we've made it to the growth rapid fire round where the questions are quick, but the answers don't need to be. Okay. What's a book that's impacted your life the most or one that you're most excited about right now? Yeah. Impact, uh, hands down, uh, Richard Branson, screw it. Let's do it. Um, so many people, including myself, think about things way too much instead of taking action. And uh, that book is just story after story about getting to a certain point and, and saying to yourself, you know what, I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but screw it, let's do it. And, um, and I really think that is the one thing that, that ties all successful people together is they take action. I am going to add that to my reading list right now. That sounds like an amazing book. From an inspiration standpoint, who are some of your mentors, the people that you learn from or you look up to, and how have they influenced your career? Yeah, um, you know, uh, my dad early on um, about not giving up, he was my, my biggest influence um, about not giving up. I remember one of the first stories I ever remember my dad telling me was when he was a kid growing up in Fresno. There were gangs and, and uh, the leader of a gang was picking on him and wanted to fight him. And my dad fought him. Uh, and he got his butt kicked. And he, he told me about how this went on day after day for about a week. But and every time he went and he got his butt kicked and he lost. But then after about a week, um, the, the, the guy he was fighting said, Lance, no more. Like, I've had enough. Like, he earned the respect and he beat him up just a little by little enough uh, through perseverance until the other gave up. So um, that's you know, fighting is not, you know, a great example, but that is one story that has shaped me that, Hey, even if you lose over and over again, the one who never gives up is the one that, that ends up winning. And I've, I've heard that from business leaders and, and, and everyone else I, I deem to be successful uh, at this point in my life. It's, it's, it's always the same. Just, just don't give up and, and you will end up triumphing. Triumph. That's, that's what it comes down to. Never give up. Just keep on fighting. So finally, from a purpose perspective, John, why do you do what you do? And what drives you to live your best life every day? Uh, uh, other people, um, and, and I'll tell you again, I'm just being completely open, honest, and vulnerable here. When I got into you know, running my own business, it was for completely different reasons. It was for material things. It was to feed my ego. Um, there was nothing you know, pretty about it. It was all me all the time. That's when I started. Nowadays, the reason why I work very little in my business, the reason why we found out how to put the right systems and processes in place, the reason why we've had all that growth, um, I think is because the reason had, has become my, my family, um, my, my immediate and extended family, spending more time with my kids, um, developing a deeper relationship with my wife. And then little by little, that's, that's expanding into a wider circle. And I think that that circle is going to continue to expand where I get most of my joy, not out of the, the, the money I earn, uh, but, but the people I help and, and the people who, you know, uh, shoot me messages on, on social media about how we've impacted their lives. Now, don't get me wrong. You need a, a certain amount of money to, to not worry about money. 
But after that, um, I think purpose starts to grow and it, it's always people, the people you care about. You need the resources in order to fund the yeah. the mission that you're on so that you can reach more people. So you, the money's got to be there, but it's those little messages that really that drive it far. Well, John, thank you so much for being here. This was incredible. I learned so much and I'm truly inspired. Where can more folks find out a little bit more about you and get in touch? Yeah, so our, our main company website is, uh, our company's Midwest Revenue Group. So the website is Midwest Rev, as in revenue, MidwestREV.com. Great, great. Well, I will uh, link to all of your social media on, uh, on the show notes. And I hope everyone will look up John, learn a little bit from him. He's putting out a ton of free and amazing content. He's a true giver. And I'm so grateful to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.